Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, how podcasts are helping Spotify grow their profits, can audio help the mail dominate online news, and where will Ben Cooper go after Radio 1? Plus, Samira Ahmed and Ofcom give the BBC more headaches, and in the Media Quiz, we take a look at the first reviews for Apple TV Plus and their original series. It's all to come in today's Media Podcast. And it's Rage Our Week, so with grim inevitability, we welcome back the MD of Folder Media, Matt Deegan. Hello, Matt. Uh, hello. Nice to, nice to be here. Grim uh, and all. We're going to cover Rage Our's later, but in the meantime, just give us an exciting Q3 radio ratings headline. Uh, obviously, the most exciting thing is that Fun Kids has had its best ever Rage Our performance. Yeah, funny you should uh, pick that up. Yes, my own radio station. Um, I think uh, the, the other, my other fact is uh, the hours for younger people is starting to drop precipitously. Okay, more, more of on that, that later. Later, indeed. It's like we both work in radio. <laughs> uh, also here, we welcome back the MD of Something Else, Steve Ackerman. Hello, Steve. Hello, Ollie. Uh, now, Steve, obviously the biggest event at Something Else recently has been producing the excellent episode of Archive on 4 presented by me, <laughs> uh, currently a pinned tweet, at Ollie Mann. Uh, but to save both our blushes, tell me instead about unheard the Fred and Rose West tapes. Well, it's not as salacious as you might think. It's a podcast that I think is episode eight is out now. And it's basically a guy called Howard Soons, who's the journalist who first, uh, one of the first journalists who was on to the Fred and Rose West story. He's got all his original micro tapes from when he was covering the story 25 years ago. So all his interviews with lodgers and lawyers and family members. And so we're retelling the West story and particularly focusing on the victims' stories, which at the time with tabloid journalism really got ignored. They were really just a list of names. And uh, it's a series that's doing very, very well. Both a significant in the UK. download milestone. Go on. Uh, yeah, this week, the week we're recording, it's now reca- uh, now uh, gone past one million listens. So, Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and I've saved the best till last. We have a blue chip panel with us this week. <laughs> it is the annual appearance of the Queen Mother of Media Punditry, journalist <laughs> and Channel 4 historian Maggie Brown's here again. Hello, Maggie. Oh, hello. It's lovely to be not a veteran this Time. I thought I'd accelerate you to monarchy. <laughs> I don't know where we go next year. Do I have the divine right? To next? <laughs> uh, now, you've been at the Women in Journalism event this week, I yes, understand. Yes, I was on uh, Tuesday night, yes. Yeah, give us a taster. Oh, it was actually really interesting because it was held in Bloomberg's uh, European headquarters, which was really worth going to see because it was like a defensive fortress, so <laughs> defensive that I couldn't find it. And none of this is actually by accident, of course, when you design these huge buildings. And it's, I think, directly influenced by 9-11 and the fact that, of course, Mayor Bloomberg was, you know, affected very much so being in New York and mm. worried and I think probably uh, understood that there would be future threats to people actually just trying to do 
do journalism of any sort, because obviously Bloomberg do financial journalism. But yes, it was a good event. It was interesting because uh, there were very experienced women giving their ex- you know, knowledge and experience to perhaps lesser mortals in, 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 or aspiring journalists. And one of the things that came out, the key thing really, was that women, if they wanted to literally you know, march up the, up the scale and become the bosses, they're going to have to be, or very good correspondents, they're going to have to be less shrinking violets and they're going to have to uh, come forward. You know, If a story gets dismissed, you put up another good one. You don't sort of run away in your corner and sort of have a little weep. You have to sort of, dare I say it, man up or lean in as Sheryl Sandberg would indeed. say indeed uh, social media must help with that actually because now there are so many formal and informal groups of women journalists supporting each other discussing each other's causes you know retweeting each other that's changed hasn't it since when you started out yes it has and I think that also uh, there's a whole confidence level and there's been a change in the past 10 years and it's been driven too by the fact that you cannot now for example just have an all male panel on a discussion show or if you do you realise it's a bit wrong or you, you it's a very specialist subject so, so there's more equality in terms of share of voice although obviously there are still more male voices than female voices but all of that has improved immeasurably I mean one of the people on the uh, panel was Liz Howell who you've had on the podcast who has actually pioneered an awful lot of the you might call monitoring really of Mm. content so yeah it was a good evening I enjoyed it okay let's uh, dive in then we're going to talk about uh, Ofcom's second annual review of the BBC and their findings that auntie continues to lose younger audiences Matt, you sort of alluded to this with radio, but this is the case across the piece. Uh, yeah, I think what's interesting about um, Ofcom's reports is they're getting quite feisty with the BBC uh, and uh, taking them to task over uh, a whole range of, of activities. I mean, the gender, uh, uh, age, uh, race is, is all in there. Um, but also, you know, they've got a bit of a kick for how they're doing in on-demand versus uh, other SVOD providers like Netflix, when really it is Ofcom's fault that they're in this position, you know, broadcasters uh, were going to work together on a thing called Kangaroo mm. a number of years ago at the perfect time as this was all kicking off. And they were told, no, that would be anti-competitive. And now they're getting a kick in because they're not doing so well. But the particular stat that you're referencing there is that younger people were more likely to watch BBC content on Netflix than iPlayer. That's pretty damning, isn't it? They, they didn't even know that Doctor Who was a BBC show. Well, I think they probably did know that Doctor Who is a BBC show, but they have a device and an app and a system that they consume a lot of television on. So that stuff happens to be on too and they're not so bothered about going to the to the BBC's platforms. Or well, may I not think know the, it's there. Even if they do know it's a BBC show, they may not have got the message yet that there's a section on iPlayer for them. Well, also, I think one of the big problems for the for BBC television is it's been programmed so that its average age is in the 50s for BBC One and BBC Two. 60s so, now. Yeah, and, mm. and that's... And, and so if... if all that programming is is doing very well for that audience and probably keeping up BBC's total share in television. Uh, it's no great surprise that young people aren't going to go to the on-demand platform for the service that mainly reaches people in their late 50s. And, and then 60s. you take BBC Three, you know, off of the actual broadcaster palette that you're uh, offering and I think that that's a big loss too. It is and uh, they say all oh, the, the BBC Three content is on BBC One but again it's on a channel which you know predominantly people aren't consuming and we're in a world where uh, you know, we we schedule our TV and radio stations by knowing kind of what, what they do. Um, so uh, I think absolutely it's the BBC's job to, to fix these things. Um, it's also Ofcom's part of their problem that, that, that they caused. But also possibly to grow some hits, I guess, because 
I mean, a lot's been made of RuPaul's Drag Race. I mean, mm. for a start, that's being advertised not really as a BBC Three show, but on iPlayer. And secondly, it's not a BBC show, is it? It's mm. a World of Wonder show that's been on American telly for over a decade. Uh, uh, why don't they just make their own? <laughs> absolutely, but I think this is this is the problem they've got themselves into: is they've got no spaces to broadcast this. Um, they've they've uh, they've lost. Uh, any channels to do this job. And this is why radio, you know, the um, BBC Sounds and why the big push is there. Pretty much radio and audio has to do all the heavy lifting mm. for BBC as organisation uh, to reach young people. So do you think, actually, Maggie, we're going to end up seeing the BBC doing a BBC Sounds but for telly? There is a revamp of iPlayer in the pipeline, isn't there? And maybe it will be focused around new content aimed at young people you can't get elsewhere. Well, I just don't know. I mean, if I could just pick you up, Matt, on one point, though. This kind of chastising of the BBC over not, um, you know, catering for younger people. This has been um, Ofcom's attack on Channel 4, really, for the past decade, mm. before it came into the area of, of regulating or, or overseeing the BBC too. And yes, the BBC are pretty annoyed, actually, with Ofcom one, one way or another. And I would also add that if you look at Ofcom's... Somebody, not me, but somebody needs to actually do a proper examination of the way Ofcom operates because it is actually still quite a young regulator. And all I know is from my history of Channel 4 that Ofcom makes mistakes. Uh, it wasn't actually... Um, necessarily back in, uh, opposed to the kangaroo uh, platform that was really a competition issue mm. which was probably wrong but there has been this constant um nagging really about younger audiences while at the same time expecting the bbc to be all things to all people my view is that a lot depends on whether the license fee is sorted out this over 75s issue if they don't somehow get back the money that they were expecting to get from our government then they're in for very you know meager rations if and i've heard quite a bit about this if there can be a deal done once we get over brexit once we get past the election once people start talking about policy properly once we have a culture secretary mm. who's around mm. for more than a couple of months mm. well nicky morgan's stepping out of politics completely that's right yeah so if that happens there's a lot of ifs but i i have heard very good conversations that there can be some sort of fix on this then maybe the bbc can stretch its wings a bit or maybe they need to take bigger steps i mean steve one of the things nicky morgan was musing about publicly was the idea that the license fee becomes a subscription i think most people would acknowledge that's sort of always been on the table but in like 40 years time but might we see that sooner than expected I, I just think that's probably a very very slippery slope in terms of uh if we genuinely believe that there is some sort of role in uh the, the production of content for the bbc then to go down a subscription route clearly just starts to make it a another service and i'm not sure that's necessarily the the right move. I mean, I think if you want to talk about big steps the BBC should be taking, we all know that historically it is the TV people and the channel controllers who have dominated the the politics and the landscape at the BBC to the expense of online content and to the expense of radio. And that has to change. And, and, and my understanding is there is a big um there is a big argument brewing and a big fight coming between the role of iPlayer and the people who are leading iPlayer mm. and the role of channels and, and where they might stand and obviously it gets to the heart of this issue which is that older audiences are consuming through the channels and younger mm. audiences aren't and, and we've seen that in radio haven't we it's going to play out in you know you hear people who work for Radio 4 complaining their budget's gone to BBC Sounds mm. that's going to be as nothing to what happens when the controller BBC One gets upset that'd be nice if BBC Sounds was a bit better organised as well they've made a sort of an error somehow in, in this 
everybody always does this when they relaunch um, an online site. They always get it wrong. I mean, Channel 4 changed 4 OD to all 4 instead of putting 4 all on. You know, it just is a sort of muddle at the moment. That's coming with sounds, though, I think, because Jonathan Wall is in there now and he's got obviously a track record of, of working with a sort of small dynamic team because he used to head up Five Live. And I know that he's he's already getting in place much more great organisation. But obviously it just gets to the heart of audience behaviours. And, and, and you keep coming back to the same point, which is once you get an on-demand habit, why would you ever switch back to that idea of just turning on the telly and hoping you're going to find something or just turning on the radio and hoping you're going to find something? It's not going to happen. It's but, not the logical direction of travel. But, also, but Steve, think, what they need to do, though, is they have to then invest uh, in the actual technology more because we yes, all know yes. it's a delight to use Netflix as opposed to iPlayer. Now, let's be honest about it. You know, uh, the, 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 the Netflix experience is extremely seductive, but that's because they really, really, really work on the technology and you don't get a buffering and they, they've managed to find... And I see the latest but That would things. be the entire programming budget for the BBC just well, on technology, that, wouldn't it? I'm to match just, that. I'm just trying to point out that if they do get some... Uh, uh, compensation or something changes with the over 75s issue then they would have uh, resources to put into that as opposed to content but uh, it, it, this is a problem that is across all of the domestic efforts to do online sites it's not just a BBC problem. And the iPlayer leads in terms of domestic yes. Uh, yes. sites the iPlayer let, let's not forget the iPlayer is still a very good platform and does lead, lead the way but but you're right, it's up against some really, really challenging competition. Well, and also it's that transition from being a catch-up service to being a, a destination. Uh, and they've always had trouble um, defending one and going into another area. Can we talk about what Ofcom said about BBC News as well, which was essentially uh, journalists on air need to be more willing to call out lies and challenge extreme views basically saying this idea of balance gets too overly imposed. Well, they say they should be neutral, really. That's what the one of the rulings is over the Naga Manchetti um, situation. And it is interesting because I... Th- I th- well... I, they're also saying that younger people, if they want to be, um, if, if the BBC wants to be uh, engaging them, like gritty stuff. They like views and they like um, things which stand out. And some of these things do run counter to the BBC culture, which is to try to be measured and balanced. And I, what I think is, do you know what I actually think? It's nothing to do with telev- this issue. I think television is a very difficult medium in which to discuss complicated political ideas and it's perfectly it's it's a spoken medium or it's a visual medium and in some ways the best way to actually work out what is going on is to read proper newspapers or to read the documents I, I think it's really hard to be informed at the moment about what we're being offered in Brexit so I feel the BBC gets a bit caught up in that but yes of course it is too anodyne it, it's its coverage is, is, is on, under attack from both sides. And I don't that, think that necessarily means that its output is in the right place. But, Steve. but isn't, it, it, isn't there a fundamental point, which is that um, it's quite right you should strike a balance on an issue where there are two genuine points of view. So, you know, obviously abortion, classic example. Mm. Um, you know, you may not agree with the other side, mm. but, but, but there are two genuine point, points of view. When you get something like climate change, and you have Nigel Lawson on the Today programme, who is a climate change denier and just talking nonsense. And all the science is there to show that, that this thing is, is, is happening. That's not a balanced issue. That's not a point of let's show the other side. Because the other side is factually incorrect. Which is wrong. what the Ofcom report says. But the problem is, Matt, if you're a presenter on the BBC, you've got a lot going on. You've got people speaking in your ear. You've got to represent the values of the BBC. You've got to digest the news and present it in a way that's accessible and entertaining and all the rest of it. And then at the same time, you're now supposed to be thinking, ah, 
is this an issue where I don't have to be balanced? Mm. Do I have to say the counterexample thing or do I actually say, no, you're wrong? It's a lot to expect of a journalist sitting there on telly, not writing an article, but live in the moment. But also I think that the shift is also because we're in a much more divisive society now, particularly driven by Brexit. Um, and also uh, consumers of media, particularly the noisy ones who are on Twitter and, and the social platforms, are used to having more specialised, hearing more specialised views. So there's a lot of people who just assume that if you are uh, independent or trying to strike a balance, you're lying. You know, you are withholding your view and that actually secretly in what you've said, you're attacking one side or undermining the other. Um, and I think that's the problem is that people are assuming that um, successful, talented journalists uh, are cheating with, with what they're saying. And then you look at something like LBC and I think you have Ian Dale, um, who is, you know, stood to be an MP, um, is right wing. Um, however, because Media you... Media podcast regular. Yeah, but because you know that, you can make a judgment about what he's saying. And I think it's... Uh, you. I think a lot of people feel that is more honest mm. because you understand them as a, as, as a human being. And, in, and staying in the middle perhaps just doesn't scale to a more complex digital world. But for example, do you really think, is Nigel Farage going to be allowed to have his uh, uh, his position in commercial radio? No, I mean, because... Well, but, uh, during an election? During an election. No. The answer to that is no, right? Yeah. As, of, yeah. as of today, that, he'll no. be off air and for the six weeks. And is, but he's, I don't know if he's standing as an MP, is he Nigel Farage? Uh, he hasn't announced whether so, he's doing but it. But even if he yet. hasn't announced, just the fact he's leader of the Brexit party, that disqualifies him from broadcasting... Um, I'd need to double check the rules. That's what I don't understand. Yeah. I, I imagine he'll be... Because I, 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 be... I think commercial radio has really changed the, the, the climate on mm. what's acceptable under our so-called impartiality mm. rules. And I, I, I listen and I think, goodness, and it's also a question of where, the, where these um, presenters are placed in the schedule as well. You know, they're not being buried late at night. They're right in your face when people mm. are maybe driving around in cars, you know, going on mm. journeys. So I think that that has completely changed the, the atmosphere. And so has actually the Naga Manchetti um, uh, uh, decision, which has rocked the BBC, because it appears to say that on uh, morning shows, maybe, you know, uh, Good Morning Britain, for example, mm. uh, you can have uh, opinionated people. The, the best guidance is actually rational scepticism. That is the phrase I've, I've mm. heard. Rational scepticism of all views. We'll be back with more media news after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode of the Media Podcast was recorded at Spiritland Studios in London's King's Cross. Spiritland Studios are run by Spiritland Productions, providers of professional audio solutions to TV, radio and online. As well as their broadcast standard studio facilities, Spiritland Productions also has a world-class OB vehicle for audio and video projects of any scale. Whether it's podcasting, outside broadcasting or live concert recording, produce your next show with Spiritland Productions. Just go to spiritlandproductions.com now. Well, it's not just our panel that's uh, a blue-chip reminder of the Guardian Media Talk days. Uh, Like back then, we are doing a hefty chunk on the BBC, so I'm going to move us on to the next BBC story so I can get through as many as we can, Uh, which is that the Radio 1 controller Ben Cooper has announced his departure from the network. Uh, A brief obit for him, Steve, and what do you think has prompted him to go? Uh, so Ben has been the controller of Radio 1 for, I think, something like eight years, maybe some, something like that. He previously held various sort of producer and editorial roles at Radio 1. He had a stint at Capital as well. So a long-term radio person, clearly someone who's very passionate about the radio. I think there's probably a couple of things. First of all, a bit earlier in the year, you may recall that Lorna Clark got appointed as, uh, I think her title was something like head of pop. But basically, controller of pop, I believe. Controller of pop. Uh, but in effect, uh, that that is a role above the controller of Radio One, and I, you know, I don't know this as fact, but I, I would be amazed if Ben hadn't gone for that for that role. Um, and clearly, he 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 didn't get chosen. Um, I think the other thing is, look, Radio One is a youth station. It um it is having to move at a faster pace than ever before. Uh, I don't know exactly how old Ben is, but I think it's probably late forties, some, something I think he's like forty nine. Right. So yeah. so I would imagine that the that you know the other issue is is just that. Radio One, as we've just been debating with the TV channels, is facing real, real challenges. And um, Ben probably looked at it and has looked at his expertise and the demand for audio professionals that, that that there is now because of things like podcasting. And he's probably thought, okay, I think I, you know, I can I can have a good chance of picking up a very nice role somewhere else. Well, okay, where do we think he's going to go? Briefly, I don't know, but I mean, if you look at previous um, controllers in music stations at the BBC, they usually go into the music. Production yes, industry. Or well, I think Apple or Spotify seem to be the yes, obvious places yes, now. Yes, yeah. Apple or Spotify, but obviously the other option these days could potentially be any other big podcast operator, one of the big American podcast companies, who knows? He's very effective. Yes, he's a good operator. But it shows how the industry's changed, doesn't it, Matt, that we're not saying he's going to go to Bauer or Global, which would have been 20 years ago, the equivalent of those places, would be the obvious place. You've got a That's career That's where the BBC. presenters go, not the executives. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's always been difficult, a BBC to commercial radio uh, change, because they are so different as organisations. Um, yes, they share some frequencies, but how they work is almost entirely different. And on another BBC story, Maggie, uh, they are fighting a pay dispute claim from Samira Ahmed. Yes. Uh, outline that for us. Well, Samira Ahmed is a, a very experienced um, journalist. She was at uh, Channel 4, but she um, has most recently been doing, been doing two spots, really, for the BBC. And um, she is saying that she has been seriously underpaid at £425 a week, yes, for a 15-minute slot 
called Newswatch, which really is on the BBC News Channel, but which gets dropped into the Sunday Breakfast Show as well. Mm. And the problem for her is that um, the person who does uh, points of view or has done points of view when she was um, uh, basically doing her her job uh, was. Uh, Jeremy Vine, and he was originally getting £3,500 for uh, points of view. And the BBC's argument is that isn't gender discrimination. That's a sort of BBC One News Channel issue. It's that points of view is an entertainment show, Newswatch is a news show. She's yeah. getting paid the same as the previous male presenter well, Ray, of Newswatch. Ray Snoddy. Actually, I, I emailed Ray to see what he thought about <laughs> this, but he hasn't replied, which I thought was a bit sad. But, um, I, well, I actually think she's trying it on a bit, really. I admire her bravery, but there is a difference between a, a news channel programme commissioned for a news channel which gets a repeat and and what might be a high octane uh, basically entertainment information show also big breath she she <laughs> jeremy vine is, is is a star it's that, that's the fact of the matter he has a much higher profile i've i've listened to him actually on channel five he's my little weakness <laughs> and uh, i also quite like i like him very much on on radio too i mean he has a lightness and he has a wit and he's just a very very accomplished broadcaster in every area as far as i'm concerned and i think that that may account for the difference but anyway he's not there now because as we know now the BBC, what's happened at the bbc is that for two decades its pay policies have been actually very very muddled and i include the people right at the top who were remember getting bonuses in the 90s infuriating the politicians uh you've you've got uh presenters some of whom very few now remain but who could command whatever their agents could uh, get for them and uh, everything has changed really plus of course there's this big issue yes of of being fair between uh, people you know equal pay for people doing equal jobs so i, I, the, I the think, story I think behind... she's brave but i'm not i, I would be I, i'd be surprised if she wins the argument behind the headline though would be you're right, Jeremy Vine is sort of objectively a bigger star than Samira Ahmed, but her point is no woman was allowed to be as big a star as Jeremy Vine in a scenario where the head presenters, the big the big money, went to big male names, and therefore that in itself is a kind of gender discrimination. Well, I mean, Anne Robinson used to do very well. I, I don't know. I, I oh, mean, on points of view, in fact. Mm. Yeah, that's that's my yeah. whole point. I mean, I, all I would say, and but she also had other slots, uh, you know, I think, I think that there is a difference between um, people who, who are genuine big stars and people who are not. And this is just an unfortunate fact that the BBC also happens to be in show business as well as in public service broadcasting. With the, with the, other, the other difficulty with it, which you touched on a little bit, is it's not just about the sort of size of the star. She's saying that, in effect, the show she was doing was basically the same sort of content as points of view and therefore that's why it should be paid the same and that obviously throws up all sorts of issues mm. because you, you you know where does that stop in terms of apples and pears you can completely see in the Carrie Gracie case uh, she was a correspondent in China and she was complaining I'm not being paid the same as you know the special correspondents in America or and so you can say okay mm. yes you can see that that is in effect the same job and there is mm. a, clearly a very strong case there I think there's a real nuance around this that is very very different and I can I, you know I, I agree with Maggie I mean I, th I, I think we all agree with the principle of equal pay, but but this feels like um, it's not quite a fair comparison. I and think. you'd imagine, though, though, how the hell was Jeremy Vine being paid three and a half grand for a program that no one bloody watches? <laughs> uh, that oh, sounds like a point of view letter. <laughs> we've got a letter here from Steve Ackerman, and he says he's had a why, how much oh, on why, pays? oh why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine Claudia Winkleman gets paid a lot more for doing the film program on BBC One when she did that, and Gary Lineker. That, I mean, Gary well, no, Lineker but I was going to say then whoever hosts yeah, the Mark Kermode yeah. thing on the news channel, yeah. I don't even know who that is. Mm -hmm. I'm 
faceless anchor. Mm. I mean, they're completely different, but it's the same content, isn't it? This is, you know, Simon Mayer's moved out, uh, Jeremy Vine has moved out or diversified, and we've got John Humphreys apparently doing something for Channel 5 now. Oh, and and Classic FM. Did you uh, hear him do the breakfast show on Classic FM? I did. What did you make of it? uh, You could tell he was a little bit nervous doing it. Which is quite nice. Um, Yes, and uh, I think what was interesting was when you strip out all the politics, you realise he's got a great radio voice and actually mm. is pretty well suited uh, to Classic FM as he gradually mm. gets up to speed on all the pronunciations and, and the style of the station. OK, let's move on from the BBC, please, uh, and talk about online streaming. Uh, Spotify's quarter three results are in. They revealed some interesting data. Matt, what did we learn? Uh, we learned that Spotify are doing... Uh, uh, yeah, they made a big investment to the podcast space uh, earlier this year. They acquired uh, three companies, um, Gimlet Media, Parcast uh, and Anchor, uh, two of those being content companies. Uh, and they'd all, they were already making some of their, their own material. Uh, and what they've decided seemingly is uh, they're an audio system, not just uh, a music uh, app. Uh, and they are keen to have everything that goes into people's ears um, going going through Spotify. But what they, they, they issued their, their quarterly reports, but kind of buried in the data uh, was information that if people listen to podcasts through Spotify, they're more likely to convert to paying subscribers um, of the service. Uh, and that's, that's kind of interesting, and that's, you know, that's where their money comes from. There is an ad-funded product in Spotify, um, and the podcasts have done okay with their, their ad money, and that, that's growing at, at quite a clip. But it's still dwarfed by the subscription revenue. So if, if podcasting is merely a way to get uh, new subscribers, uh, it seems to be the right thing for them to do. And Steve, as a podcast producer, how do you feel about that? You know, Spotify are crowing, saying, oh, look, we can use podcasts to leverage our users to subscribe to premium and give us more money. So what? It doesn't help you, does it? You're not People like your show... Well, and they're giving Spotify more money to hear it. Is that right? No, but where it clearly helps podcasting is the um, investment that they are putting into podcasting. Don't forget, this isn't just about them buying the companies they bought for significant amounts of money. They're also investing in original titles. So in effect, they have becoming a commissioner and they're buying existing shows. So successful podcasters are being made offers by Spotify to take their titles over to Spotify. So there's a big all-round investment going going in from them. And you frank- see my point, the users are basically paying, well, upgrading to premium means I'm paying you to take away the ads that are annoying me. In the but music. Of, in the, well, yeah. The but, ads will still be in the podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, the, the inbuilt ads will still be in yes. the podcast. But as a podcaster, that doesn't impact on me. But the, the people who are making a financial contribution aren't lining your pockets, they're lining a third party's pockets as but a result of ads that you haven't injected. That, whilst that is true, that they're also... Uh, paying for a system of marketing which uh, alerts people to listen to uh, our material. Um, and, and it is, as a podcast provider, uh, I'm very happy that there are a number of competitive um, apps out there, as well as Apple and Spotify and, and other things, and I want them all to be competitive uh, because they have a better chance of, of not locking me in some content dungeon and uh, get, getting me out to potential You couldn't have a podcast ceremony, could you? Awards ceremony, ah, yes. you didn't have lots of podcasts. Otherwise known as the Content Dungeon Awards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about Ray Jars now, and good news for Bowers Kistery. Maggie, I imagine you're a big listener to Kistery. <laughs> certainly not, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm actually really, really pleased to see commercial radio doing so well. I mean, I think when, when I said earlier that, that regulators make a hash of things very often, I think regulators made a total hash of uh, radio in, in the 90s and it's good to see 
national brands being created, LBC going national, for example. I mean, LBC was completely beaten up by the regulatory system. It's managed to survive and mm. come through. So, no, I'm, I'm quite happy. And, and you're naturally going to see, you can't have a, a, a win the whole time. The BBC is still in a very, very, very strong position as a broadcaster in this country on in all areas. So it's inevitable as commercial radio really gets its act together, which I'm so, sorry to say it's taken too long, mm. but it's there, uh, you're going to find uh, challenges, you're going to find digital channels that really outstrip them, and that's how it should be. That's competition for you. And those sort of niche spin-off network channels are doing well, aren't they? So there's a history, absolute 80s as well, doing well, I think? Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I think, uh, so to speak, um, so something like history, um, over too many listeners listening to history, you know, it's the biggest um, digital station. Uh, in some markets, it's sort of neck and neck with the main kiss. You know, they found a, a thing that works, which is dance gold, for want yeah. of a better description, <laughs> yeah. um, and are doing very well. Uh, one of the, and, you, and you're seeing that with Heart and Heart 80s and Heart 90s. Global have just launched a whole suite of new national spin-off services based on their big brands because uh, they've seen huge both reach growth, but more importantly, hours growth as it's the hours and total hours that uh, provides the commercial impacts that these these beasts can monetize. How did Scala do, though? Because uh, that was actually a bold new idea, wasn't it? Classical music for young people, that doesn't seem to cut through as much. Yes, it, they, had a, they had a little drop on uh, their, their opening radar, and so they're around 230,000. Um, I think they know it's a big build. Um, I'm sure they would have liked it to be uh, a little larger. Um, I think they'd probably say that Simon Mayer was off air for much of that quarter, um, and I think there's some telly to come. To, to promote it but also it does show uh, just shoving a, a station national um, doesn't mean instant success uh, and the things connected to brands are the things that have, that have done much better because you're, you are it is much easier to introduce something that is a spin-off from something people know and love than to, to start from scratch and rather depressingly for people who liked their local radio station back in the day more vindication for the networking strategy isn't there where I think I'm right in saying that the combined ratings for the heart breakfast show is more than all of the individual hearts added up used to be. Yeah, so I'd add a caveat to that in that a lot of the local stations, because they're smaller, um, have their radar measured uh, annually in rolling quarters, as, oh. as well you know. It's the kind of detail um, we like on this show. Uh, so it's perhaps not... Uh, a total view on those shows yet uh, but i think i think there's a, a good point which is particularly for the pop radio stations that are you know pop and entertainment um uh jamie and amanda on heart it's a very listenable show she's but she, i think she's she's really good uh and uh it's different to what the local stations delivered but it's high quality and i can see it doing doing pretty well and despite us talking about the BBC sort of failing with young people earlier, maybe a glimmer of hope in Greg James's ratings on Radio 1, they're up. Yes, Greg, Greg James is doing well. Look, I mean, he's clearly connecting with an audience, so good, good, good for him. I think Radio 1 on the whole c- continues to sort of find it quite tough going. I'm, I'm sort of looking to Max. He's much more the expert than me, but, but yeah, I, so, I think I saw that. So it always it sort of drifts around this sort of 9.2 to 9.7 million listeners, and it's at the lower end, 9.3 million at the moment. Um, I think I think that's a reach figure, so that's, that's people listening to five minutes of Radio 1 in a week. Uh, and I think... Yeah, there are lots of, again, lots of competition. We've talked about those spin-off stations. Uh, people can have a very good, youthful radio experience without Radio 1, uh, which you couldn't do 
even 10 years ago. Um, and so they're always going to find it a challenge. I think the big shift, um, as I mentioned earlier, was about hours. And uh, younger audiences and reach actually has held up pretty well. This, around the same amount of people that listen to, to 1524s, listen to radio 10 years ago, listen to it today. But the amount they listen has changed. And that comes from being at a point where uh, free music entertainment was only provided by the radio, uh, which, of course, is not the case now. So it's, I don't think it's any great surprise that young people listen less to it, and we should be very pleased that they that they listen it in, in their volumes. But that's a big challenge for commercial groups that are built on that hours. Mm. So if you see, uh, if you look at the share in London, which is, is what a lot of people look at, uh, LBC has kind of been at the top for the last few quarters, and Classic's actually doing quite well. Um, the Hearts and the uh, or the Capitals and the Kisses have been drifting and Heart and Magic um, doing better. And that's because there isn't the volume of listening from younger audiences. That that's be. what interested me, actually, because I always thought Radio 1 was basically a channel that, or a radio station that appealed to younger people outside of London. Mm. And and Greg sounds to me very sort of quite posh, actually, for Radio 1. Maybe this I shouldn't say this. But he's quite he, metropolitan, isn't he? Like, yes. he's, he's very much, the joke is, I'm university I mean, I educated and I'm ironising it. I, I, don't, yes. I don't know what the, what the research shows, whether... Whether whether Radio One is still very much uh, safe for, for the Manchester or the mm. Birmingham kids, you know. I know, I know internally at Radio One they work quite hard to have voices which represent a lot of the areas, mm. um, and they they ran a great contest last week, um, a sort of treasure hunt, and they did that in England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern yeah. Ireland with voices from each of those places being kind of champions for their winners. Mm. As they think about it, it'll be interesting to look at how how Greg does outside of, outside of the camp. He's very different to Greg uh, Chris Moyles. That's what I. Mean. Uh, he is, and 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 Grimmy as well. I think it's. Uh, um, in some ways, it's a more traditional radio listen, what, what Greg does, but um, it's a much more consistent listen. I think that's why he's doing well. And finally, on, on the radio thing, new station from LBC, LBC News. Has anyone dipped into that yet? Had a listen on launch day. So LBC News is a 20-minute roll. Yeah. Uh, so if you, if you tune All in... All your headlines in 20 uh, minutes, every 20 minutes. That's basically it, isn't it? It is, yeah. except when there's breaking news. And there's been a bit of that this week. Um, and they have... <laughs> they uh, will take a parliamentary debate um, and it's 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 presented live so and they've got access to pretty good resources now um so that they can they can do a good job of it it's really pacey so it's really well done and i think if i was kind of if i was the bbc a bit i'd look at that and think this is an obvious thing we should have done some i remember saying to you on this show before steve ackerman that five live like they have a sports extra should have a news extra they could have done this five years ago run pmqs in full done press conferences because it's just so irritating when the bloody rugby's on well the interesting thing is this is uh and i i hope maggie will will nod and confirm to me but this is basically uh uh the same thing that a previous incarnation of lbc tried probably what mm. 15 years yes. ago yes. maybe yes, um, exactly. and, and 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 obviously it's taken from a oh. from a us us format i mean the BBC, the truth is, I think particularly with radio stations, has always been slow to innovate. You know, they didn't launch an Asian network until there was a commercial version. They didn't launch Five Live until Talk Radio was going. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there may be a case for that. And there's always this conflict, as you say, when there's really big sport and big mm. news on at the same time. It's not beyond the wit of them, really. I mean, from, from conversations I've had, I think uh, they would like Five Live to be two digital radio stations. Mm. And I think they've... they've They've had conversations to try and make that happen, but face some regulatory challenges from it. And I imagine particularly from TalkSport with TalkSport 2 and now with from Global for LBC and LBC News. And I think that they have missed they have missed the boat where they are doing something interesting is they they have a new Alexa news app, uh, which is a bit different to to other ones where you can kind of query for more information and kind of skip headlines and, you know, maybe a more... um, 
non-traditional news service is the way to go. But I like the fact that Alexa wasn't being used very much when you when when I read the Rajar reports. And I mean, I've I've turned my Alexa off, and it says you know nobody's really it's not growing listening on via. Alexa. Well, it's not when people fill out a pen and paper diary to say. Yeah, no, I think it, it, I think I think the uh, people. So about a third of uh, Alexa. So, so I'm trying to remember this. I think a third of listening on Alexa is to radio. So it's like the second or third most popular thing to do on the device. Um, but interestingly, it's 55 pluses that really do that. About 60% of their listening uh, through Alexa is to radio. So as a radio broadcaster, I love it as a device because it's another radio that's out there. But the challenge for radio stations and Alexa is there's no way to choose a station other than, say, the name. So you need to have a brand to have consumption. Okay, let's talk now about the latest shenanigans at Mail Online. Mail Plus, where have they got that name from? Everything's a plus, isn't it? Uh, A premium service which includes a daily radio show, sounds like a podcast to me, uh, and also a weekly podcast is being launched by the tabloid. Ah, Matt, what's the big idea? Uh, So I think Mail Plus has sort of existed anyway for a little while, um, but they're basically souping it up and making it a bit more digital is how I understand it. So there's there's more in the app. They're trying to cultivate their subscribers uh, more than just giving them a digital version of the paper. There's a lot of audio in there as well, which is all available online. I did some some Google searching of, of lots of different words together and found all their pilots. Oh, right. Um, and uh, they've been practising this since about May. Lots of different shows, many of which they haven't announced, um, that I perhaps will not see the light of day. Um, so they, they, audio seemingly is, is, is quite a big push for them. Andrew Pierce is going to present this uh Daily radio show, but, it, but it's daily at a set time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it oh, yeah. Is, yeah. so that's why it's not a podcast. Yeah, and that's why it feels like maybe a slight. I don't know. I mean, I think from an audio perspective, maybe a slightly backwards. Step. I don't know why they're doing well, it. Well, it feels I like don't... when the Sun did their radio station, doesn't it? Which yes. basically didn't work. Yes. Well, you know, are there any successful internet radio stations in the UK that operate like businesses? No. Yeah. So that would suggest <laughs> that it is, it's not the right thing to do. Um, but but Hilton Pierce podcast it, it, it will branded become, mail but, will work, and right? And it will become so, a podcast. Yeah. Um, and there's an, an Amanda Patel uh, podcast, and there's some stuff around art. Michael and, Crick as well um, doing a video series for... Uh, yeah, yeah, and I don't know whether it will make... I, the problem is there's so much good quality free podcast content um, from right and left and whatever you're predilection is, um, I'm not sure an Amanda Plattel-led show and others are going to build a desire, desirable subscription base as much as they would perhaps like them to. But they'll, they'll, they will, I think, promote it through their newspaper, which is pretty well read, isn't mm. it? And the other thing is, uh, this is really a big push by the editor, Geordie Gregg, and he's put his deputy, who's a very capable person, Tristan Davis, onto it. And so I, they, I'm sure there'll be masses of changes. No newspaper ever ever gets this sort of thing right first time round, maybe not second time round, but I bet you they will go on throwing resources at it because they know they have mm. to do something. And they're, they're a bit behind in audio. Uh, Very I much so. I don't imagine Paul Dacre will be listening, though. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but News, News UK have done the same thing. Obviously, they have wireless studios mm. who are basically there to, to create podcasts out of all the, you know, mm. the Times and The Sun and the, all the News UK titles. They've yeah. used... Uh, their titles uh, and their radio stations to promote their podcasts and have still struggled to have podcast Mm. hits. The odd thing, I think, is that a big lesson of the last few years is that, I mean, LBC have shown this, for example, that if you have your branding in big letters behind a provocateur, then it will go on Facebook. And even if people don't click it and listen, they see your brand. I find it odd that News UK are good at that when it comes to talk radio and talk sport, but they haven't done it with the Times. They don't seem to videos of the stuff of the sun... 
And I wonder if Mail Online, actually, what they're trying to do is just get, instead of Andrew Pearce sitting on Good Morning Britain, just have him sitting in front of a Daily Mail logo. And that's, mm. it doesn't matter whether anyone listens to it or not. I think also it's part of having an offer. So here is a reason to subscribe, even if you never actually listen to it. But, you know, I will give my four ninety five a month or whatever it is. But I mean, the Daily, that's the one they all want to be, isn't it? The New York Times Daily but what people Podcast. Don't, what people don't understand about the Daily is... How much it costs? It's very well resourced. Yeah. There's yeah. like 27 people that work on the Daily. Well, well and also, uh, don't forget the history of the Daily is, it was almost an accident. You know, you know they, they started experimenting with a much smaller team and suddenly found that there was an audience for it and they were making... Uh, you know, eight-figure sums out of it. Sticking with uh, the mail, Maggie, they're one of the likely suitors for the Daily Telegraph again, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Uh, So the Barclay Brothers are putting the Telegraph up for sale. Potentially, they're going to get a lot less than they paid for it. Well, they paid £660 million Mm. or something for it in 2004. And a free bottle of Buxton. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who else is in the running, do you think? Well, um, I mean, you've always got... um, hopefuls that you I mean people think Jeff Bezos but I can't really see why you'd want it um, I think also there's um, the uh, former editor of the uh, Daily Mirror whose name is escaping me and I can't Montgomery. remember David David Montgomery mm. yes who's got na- an, an, uh, what's it called National World and he's always up for a bargain so uh, we don't really know the bar- the Barclays are so secretive you don't really know what they want to do either apart from offloading a paper that, alas, is just scraping into just under a million pounds of profit a year. I, I hope it goes to somebody responsible because it's a it's a sad, um, sort of morbid paper, I feel, compared with the... The Daily Telegraph used to be a proper newspaper in the 80s. It used to do news properly. And, in fact, that survived uh, under, under Max Hastings, really, uh, and I think it's just lost its way completely but, 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 over the past but, decade. But who who would... I mean, clearly whoever would buy it would feel that they can get a bargain and that they can try and turn it around as a business. But on a fundamental basis, the newspaper model is now broken and is only going in one direction. And so from that from that perspective, I'm, I'm sort of interested, Maggie, in terms of who, who, you know, why anyone would believe at this point in time it is a, it is a business model that can can still reap rewards. Think, As you say, the, 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 the dive in the profits is astonishing. Well, I mean, the, the way forward really is somebody who's got very deep pockets to invest properly and heavily in the journalism and to erect a paywall so that people will pay for it alongside uh, advertising in it. And I do think in the general public, the brand does mean something. Well, so you'll have an idea of... It means quality journalism with a right-wing we have Yes, indeed, if we, if we end up with a right-wing... Brexit-loving mm-hmm. government, then it will be kind of right on tune. And it has had uh, some... It does still break stories. And wrapped into it is, of course, The Spectator, which I'm absolutely certain somebody would, would buy because it's always been a rich man's toy, mm. really. Um, I don't know uh, what, what what the future holds. I don't, I don't know what the price is. We've seen the way the Daily Express was subsumed into another group. Mm. And that's really also what's been happening in the regional press. So the obvious suitor would appear to be the Daily Mail, who did want to buy it because they are in the newspaper business. But whether they, under the current uh, ownership and management, really want to dive deeper into a a very expensive Mm. uh, and probably loss-making paper is is just another matter. But I hope some... In my heart, I do hope that all the people in the shires who still like to read their obituaries and all the rest of it, I hope that somehow uh, it does find... uh, a new owner. There just aren't enough major Tuftons left to, to, <laughs> to buy it. Um, I think one of the problems, it, it's something like it turned over 260 
million quid and it made like 1.6 million. I mean, literally, why bother? Why bother doing any of it? Well, influence, though, is the one word answer to that. It is. And that's, and that's the, to me, the only but buyer is someone who wants just to be able to ring up the Prime Minister and, and have tea. And, and if Lebedev hadn't already got the standard... And now this was up for sale. He'd rather have the tenor. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether he's got any money left at the moment to do those things. That's only going to that's only going to wane the um, influence as the numbers keep on going down. And 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 I suppose I wonder whether the issue for the Telegraph with an older demographic is yes, you would have thought you start to go behind a paywall, you start to do more online content. But for an older demographic, mm. that's not a natural place mm. to go for content. So you've got to really reinvent reinvent the brand to make it have to, to give it a much wider appeal. And as you say, at the moment, I think it's it's almost verging on being a toxic brand. But you know, one of the interesting things about that whole debate about the BBC and their news coverage is that when uh, they look at who reads the online versions of news, it's older people. So it's not as if, uh, it's not as if, People over 60, for example, are not uh, on the internet and are not actually accessing news other than a newspaper. But the fact is other people, older people also like to read things. And it comes back to my point about almost democracy, that if you really want to understand things, you do need to read proper <laughs> There will be a Maggie Brown manifesto after the publication of this podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm interrupting you, Maggie, because I want to steer you on to your specialist subject to make sure there's oh, time no. for this. You've got three minutes to talk about Channel 4 launching no, its creative be, hub in Glasgow. Channel 4 board. Were yes, you there? Yes, I was there. And it was uh, very interesting. It was a little bit of a misnomer because... Um, in fact, they were they 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 are opening a national uh, headquarters in Leeds. That is perfectly true, and it is a year after they announced their decision to do so. And there will be a largish number of people there. That three hundred jobs are being created. I feel a butt coming. But uh, at the moment, they're still waiting for the headquarters that they've chosen, which is this rather wonderful building called the Majestic, if you've ever been in Leeds. You come out of the railway station and there it is. And it used to have a number of uh, things. It was a nightclub and all the rest of it. Uh, so they had to have their party in a in a very trendy bar, which was fine. And uh, the, every, all the, 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 you know, the big wigs came along. And it's quite clear that there's a whole move in that region. It's Bradford as well. People from Newcastle, they're all hoping that this could be a real a moment of regeneration for the television and the, and the media industries there. And there are a number of quite you know, interesting things that are going through uh, or will be going through Leeds. And then this week, of course, they... they, they trumpeted the fact that they're also opening in properly in Glasgow now, where a number of uh, commissioners are being placed. And of course, the same will happen in Bristol. So there are three... Uh, the controller is still going to be in London or is she going to go to Leeds? Well, the... Not commuting, but is person, she actually going? The person who, well, what they're doing is they're putting commissioners and money into these places. Well, that's the theory. So, for example, the head of drama, which is not one of the biggest um, areas actually in Channel 4 in terms of their overall output, Caroline Hollick, she is based in Leeds and she will go down to London. I think what you have to remember about Channel 4 is only 850 people. All the commercial side of it, the business side, is really staying in London because they're 95% dependent on advertising. If they don't run that side of it properly, there isn't a Channel 4. But they are... What's happened basically over the past 10, 15 years is that there's been a lot of cheating about regional productions, which really have mm. not been regional production, productions. And so, Such as? Well, you know, where you, you appear to um, be planting a, a production team to make a programme, but actually you import all the people who can do it 
So Grand Design's being made in Amersham. Well, that's actually outside of the M25, isn't it? Yeah. So mm. that's all right. So Yeah, but they're all commuting from London because it's on the Metropolitan Line. Yes, so <laughs> it depends. You have to show, you know, where people live now. Yes, and in, in, indeed, one of the first big uh, commissions which um, Channel 4 have made under their new guys is going to be made by Expectations, which is um, the big, or the new indie, rather, uh, being run by Peter Fincham. And, um, uh, you know, it's a rather sort of, um, Tim Hanks, it's a sort of a, a London-based metropolitan group mm. who know what they're doing, but with uh, an outpost or, or an, a partner in Leeds. So they, they have to find hits that are, that are generated outside of London as well. And that's, what the big, that's the big question for them now. I think they'll probably do it. OK, there is just time for our legendary oh, no. media quiz. <laughs> Uh, reviews are in for the first original production from Apple TV Plus, and they're not great. Uh, I'm going to give you the headline to a review of the morning show. You just have to spot the missing word from the headline. Buzz in with your name when you know the answer. So, Maggie, you will say... Maggie. Matt, you'll say... Matt. And Steve, you'll say... Steve. Great. Let's go. Here's headline number one. Jennifer Aniston can't save Apple's what and what debut drama. What are the missing words? Busting with your name when you know the answer. Steve. Steve. Hit uh, uh, Newsroom. Hit and Newsroom debut drama. No, Rudderless and Dull oh. was the answer. Van <laughs> oh, uh, Travers at IndieWire.com. Uh, here's review number two. Fraught with what about what it is and who it's for? Confu- uh, Steve. Steve. Confusion. I like that you're playing the game, Steve. You're in with a chance of winning. I only play to win, Ollie. <laughs> uh, but the answer was no. The answer was anxiety. Fraught with anxiety half, about what it is and who it's for. for confusion. Come on, uh, let's, let's said Adam that. White at The Independent. Uh, and here is question number three. It's all to play for. Apple TV Plus rises, but doesn't what, with starry new drama? Uh, Matt. Yeah, Matt. Saw. Oh, you're so close. Come Steve. on, Steve. Shine. Yes! <laughs> Deservedly, Steve has won the quiz. Uh, that was Ellen Sappenwall's review for Rolling Stone. Um, have Apple underestimated how hard it is to make telly? Yes. Um, like, <laughs> Great. That's the end uh, of the show. Uh, like all, dig- all digital companies uh, go into a different sector. People who watch television or listen to the radio think they can make it. And guess what? It's slightly harder than it seems. But... Are you going to be watching Apple TV Plus? Because for a long time we've all been discussing, oh, do we have, you know, room in our wallets and in our minds for another subscription? It's very cheap. Well, you get it free with a phone. I've just got a phone, so I will oh, try I, I it. Think I, media elite. No, I tell you what. I tell you what. I think I, I, you can you underestimate Apple at your peril. I think it's more akin to Amazon because it owns all of these devices. And now, if you mm. have a smart TV, it's obviously going to be embedded. Um, of course, they're not going to get everything right. But do I think they've got the, the deep pockets uh, to challenge Netflix, although Netflix is very hard to challenge. Yes, I do. And it's only one of a number that's coming over the hill. And they all need, all these big uh, global companies seem to think they really, really need to be in stream television. And that's what's happening. If they really think it's important to their business, they will buy a massive studio to do it properly. Look at these two, Steve, trying to opine when you've won the quiz. Congratulations. I'm just just sitting in my triumphant glory. (laughs) You're the winner. (laughs) Uh, That is it for today. Thank you to Steve Ackerman, Maggie Brown and Matt Deegan. If you like what we're up to here on the Media Podcast and you want to help us keep doing it, then do consider taking out a voluntary subscription. We do not have deep pockets like Apple. Head to themediapodcast.com slash donate and choose an amount to keep us going all year round. You can catch up with our 
our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website, themediapodcast.com. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry, and The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. 